0: Hey, you guys, Rachel here. Maria too. And we are so excited to tell you about a new resource for the FTD community.
1: Learn FTD is a website stocked full of FTD resources, information on genetics and genetic testing, and useful ways to talk to your loved one's physician about symptoms.
0: Learn FTD also provides information about FTD as a whole. It even expands to the impact on families and finances.
1: We think it's also a great place to direct extended family and friends to help them learn more about the disease.
0: Their website is just so easy to understand.
1: Definitely take a look at www.learnftd.com for more information. That's
0: www. .learnftd.com My name is Maria and I'm Rachel
1: and we're the hosts of Remember Me.
0: Our podcast is dedicated to preserving the memories of those diagnosed with dementia. We hope this episode helps you feel more connected, provides a deeper understanding, and allows you to learn to accept the good. Always, always accept the good. This and is Remember
2: Me. Sounds, oh, made
0: him so calm. Today, we are so honored to be chatting. <laughs> With our very own Maria Kempiers. That's me. Welcome to Remember Me. Thanks for showing up.
1: Welcome to our season six finale. It's a bookend. Does anybody like have an idea of what, you know, the finale is going to be? I guess you've seen the title, but.
0: You've seen the title and I just gave it away. It's a bookend. It's a bookend.
1: Started with Frank, ending with Leah. And. But wait, there's more. I didn't listen to my episode to prep for this episode. So I feel like it's kind of like this experiment of how time really changes your perspective on things, right? Wonderful. Because I could have listened and then been like, okay, let me follow Mm -hmm. the way I did it before. But I'm like, no, it's been over two years since we recorded that episode. Mm -hmm. My mom was still alive. Can I ask the question?
0: Like this is, it's still a real episode. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Tell us that first, do I sound like you? Yeah. Tell us that first situation or encounter where you were like, wait a minute, something's
1: not right with my mom. Okay. The first thing that comes to mind now with everything I know was my wedding. She wasn't her pleasant self when we were planning things. Like even Mike was like, what's going on? She kept saying things were inappropriate. Like anything I like decided I liked, she'd be like, that's inappropriate. But it it didn't make sense. The things she was saying was inappropriate. Like I really wanted like a plated sit down Mm -hmm. dinner instead of like a buffet. And she was like, that's inappropriate. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And would you say that? Like, what do you mean, mom? I would get really frustrated with her and it was hard because like that wasn't our relationship at all. Like I hated like being uncomfortable with her. Like I, (laughs) she never was like this. She never Mm -hmm. ruffled feathers. She never, I mean, she would definitely speak her mind. She, she was like my closest confidant. So she told me what she thought about things, but there was just almost like a little bit of like an aggressive kind of tone that. I mean, in, and it was for her. So it wasn't like, it wasn't yeah, very it'd be like, intense. It'd be like you being aggressive. Yeah. yeah. But it was like different than my sweet mom. Mm-hmm. And there were things that happened throughout the process of planning the wedding that I was just like, she's not acting the way I thought she would. Mm-hmm. I remember like you let things go, right? So you're like, oh, that's just weird, whatever. But I think my sister-in-law like designed the invitation for my shower and my mom printed it on like regular printer paper Mm. and sent it. I know that's so ridiculous, but you're also like, this is weird. Why is it on like printer paper? Yeah, you would expect more. Like it'd be on like a cardstock. Like also my mom is like artistic, you know, like had a good eye for things. So there's just so many things that were just like a little off, but obviously you have no idea. You're Like it's just weird. And then I remember all the drama like happening, like the day or two before my wedding that I literally was like, I just want my wedding to be over. Like (laughs) I couldn't take it. Like she just wasn't being very nice. And she was getting really upset about things that anybody else would look at and be like, this is ridiculous. And it's not like my mom. I think there's a lot of family drama around weddings and stuff, but like my mom would never be someone to make anything about her. She is so supportive, loving. I just had this icky, uncomfortable feeling, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know what it was. And I, I think I thought maybe I think like mental health is like what my go-to thing was, was maybe she's just really struggling with, I don't know, her kids
0: growing up and you're just always chalking it up to something different than like we,
1: there's something really wrong with you. Now looking back it was personality changes for sure. Yeah. But I think it couldn't be ignored any longer when her speech was just the words she was using, the phrases she kept repeating. Like, it just was like another level of like, what is happening?
0: So that was the next thing that made you kind of question like what's going on with my mom? First it was like the wedding issues, and then her speech started to
1: Yeah. And so just for like a timeline, I got married in 2015, summer 2015. And my mom, we started taking her to doctors, I think maybe late summer 2016. So I would say, in my opinion, the language stuff, it like went so fast. Mm,
2: mm -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: Like almost to the point where I always felt like as soon as she was diagnosed, I couldn't really have a real conversation with her anymore.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So we don't really talk about this a lot, but during this time, so 2015 to 2016, like what were you feeling? Like
1: when you're in it, I just feel like it's just so foggy and you're Mm -hmm. just like, I, so I had actually started a new job two weeks before my wedding Always and it's been a go-getter. I know. And I was a really motivated, high achieving person at my previous job. And at this new job, I've never felt so inadequate and so scattered and like, I couldn't focus. I, I hated myself at that job. I just, I think now I can look back and be like, there was so much going on internally that Mm -hmm. like, I was just a wreck. So you felt like discombobulated, totally discombobulated because my mom and I used to speak 1000 times a day. She was a part of everything. And I felt like something wasn't right with her. I don't know how much I was voicing it, but I do remember sitting at my desk one day and being like, maybe she's an alcoholic. Like I just was searching for answers, but I was also just trying to be like, everything's fine. Everything's fine. And I was like digging it down deep and it was like a different time of life then. Like now I just feel like COVID has changed our lives so much, but like Mm -hmm. we were go, 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 go. I had a million weddings that I was in. It was that time in my life in my twenties. All my friends are getting married. We're doing a million, you know, bachelorette parties, whatever, you know, Mike and I were living downtown Boston in the North end, like the city life. And we're both like young in our careers and just like trying to hustle. And so like, there wasn't time to sit and be like, stuff is weird. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes I feel like it would just come out where I would just like start bawling and Michael would be like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I don't know. I know what you mean. I couldn't talk about it, It, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but I talk
0: about everything. Yeah. But this is different because you didn't have an answer. It's not like you're like, my mom has the flu. She was tested and it was positive. Like, right something's going on with my mom. I can't put my finger on it. So I'm going to distract
1: myself by go, go, go. Also, I feel like when I was in social settings with her, I was just trying to make it less awkward, almost protecting her. I feel like my dad did this too. Like, Mm -hmm. and also I think slowly over time adapted to how she had changed and just interacted with her differently. Like there's just so much that happens that like you don't talk about because you don't know what's happening and you just think it's life or I, mm-hmm. I don't know how to explain it, but I think you're explaining it. I think a
0: lot of people will resonate with it partially because in that beginning stage, it's just so you're just going through the motions Yeah. So confusing. Exactly. So I think you hit the nail on the head where you're like, I just kept going. Like, what else am I supposed to do? But internally you and your mom were so close that you knew something wasn't right. Yes. So then take us to 2016. You guys are starting to go to the doctors. What are you saying to them? My mom could be an alcoholic. Like what are,
1: how, what is she like at this point? So I think what really got us to the doctors was the speech. Mm -hmm. You just couldn't ignore that she couldn't communicate, and like she kind of she had a lot of anxiety around that time. I wasn't involved in the initial doctors' appointments because I think you think she was trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. My dad was trying to figure it out, and I think they started the route of like talking to psychiatrists, like talking to you know, GP or whatever. And then I think it led to the neurology appointments. And then I definitely was always involved in like pushing my dad, like, we got to figure out what's happening here. Like we can't ignore this anymore. And I did attend a lot of appointments when we got a little further along um, in the process. So I don't know if a lot of people
0: understand when you say like she couldn't use the words anymore is it that she forgot them like give us an example of how okay. she would speak to you
1: right okay and I will say too like what I've learned since is that like there's a many different forms of primary progressive aphasia like where you replace words with other mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. what I remember is shorter sentences mm-hmm And less vocabulary and kind of sometimes like a blank stare of like, can't answer that question because I can't form the words. Okay, that makes
0: more sense. Now, when she would look at you guys and at this point, you guys did not have a diagnosis. What was that like? What were you thinking? Because let me give you an example. If we were on Zoom right now and you just like stared at me, I would be so worried. Yeah. Like, is she having a stroke? Like Mm -hmm. what is going on? Mm -hmm. So what, what did it feel like to try and talk to your mom? And she's just staring back at you. What did, what was was, your emotional response?
1: My emotional response was confusion, heartbreak, taking it personally, Mm -hmm. just deep confusion. And I was very concerned
0: so would you say like hey mom why are you not talking to me
1: yeah and then and what? I don't know what she would say I think she'd be like I love you honey or whatever like I just a little bit dismissive like it's yeah. Okay. yeah I honestly feel like she just couldn't even explain herself and that caused more anger and confusion like almost yeah dismissive I would say of just like I'm fine Right. You know, so 2016,
0: you're now becoming more and more involved in her doctor's appointments and you finally get to the neurologist. Take us there. Okay.
1: So this is just from once I enter the picture, it's like the second appointment with the neurologist in Boston who has already essentially told my dad what He believes it is, which is, he says he believes she has FTD, primary progressive aphasia. And, oh, I think she has ALS too. This is the second neurologist. This is the first neurologist. This is the second visit is when I attend. Got it. Okay. To just get, I think maybe they were reviewing scans or something, but I think Mm -hmm. they had already given my dad like a heads up. I literally will never forget like the room, the waiting room, sitting with her. She just, she definitely wasn't reacting like someone who knows they're about to get terrible news. Like she was more concerned, even though she couldn't communicate, she was very concerned about me being there.
0: Isn't that amazing how like, it's so intuitive as a mother to like, you don't even lose that. Like I think she brain, was like, I, is- I
1: do not want her in here. Yeah. She doesn't need to worry about this. I will tell you from my perspective, because I think we talked about this before mm-hmm. that like I feel like my first time telling this story, like I really focused on like everybody else, like how it affected everybody else, who my mom was to everybody else. And as hard as it is, I really want to focus on like what this was like for me. Mm-hmm. I just feel like I was one person the day before being in this office, and then I was another person the next day. Like my life was completely changed, and it was so traumatic. Mm -hmm. I think just sitting in this like basement floor of a hospital with two doctors that have terrible bedside manner. Looking at my 50-something-year-old mother and my dad and me and just being like, this is what it is. So they were confident, like this is her
0: diagnosis, no question.
1: Yeah. With the caveat of, and I think she has ALS.
0: What made them assume ALS at that point?
1: My mom had some twitching in her arms uh, that I think my dad had reported to them. And I knew what ALS was because I know a lot of people probably already know this, but there's this famous Boston College baseball player, Pete Frades, and his family are the people that started the Ice Bucket Challenge. And so um, I had done the Ice Bucket Challenge, I think it was like a year before Mike and I had done it in the North End. So I knew, I knew Mm -hmm. what that part meant. And I definitely had the sense that Whatever this is, it's not gonna get better. And she's in the room with you guys, right? She's in the room. and I just feel like the doctors were so nonchalant. Like I even remember the doctor, um, he was like kind of standing and like leaning on something, like leaning back, like like he's having a beer, like talking to some, you know, like you're literally telling us like, Yeah, my mom's gonna die. Oh, they also did say that in the room, too. They said, I can't remember the exact life expectancy they gave, but maybe it was like seven years for FTD. But we think she also has ALS. So maybe it's like two to four. And it was literally delivered like that. And I just remember my dad being like, what can we do? What can we do? I've been looking at these diets and this and that. And the guy was like, almost laughing at him. Like, yeah, if you think you figure that out, then you'll be a millionaire. And it's like, do you have any idea what you're telling us and what this is doing to my family? (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this is insane for you to just be like kicking back and being like, this is what it is. (laughs) Right. And. Obviously, based on that interaction, we're so blessed to be in Boston where there's incredible medical care. My dad did research. We got into MGH. Sorry, I'm going to have to cut all the sniffling. It's part vibe. of the vibe. It's part of the vibe. Okay. yeah. <laughs> this is our okay. fireside chat of trauma. Uh-
0: <laughs> okay, so you guys get this diagnosis with, we think it's
1: ALS too. Great. Yeah.
0: So you leave the office and you're like...
1: Okay. We By the way, this is like Thanksgiving, like Christmas time, like, yeah. Mm, Great. So. (laughs) And it's cold here and dark. It's like uh, awful.
0: (laughs) So you guys leave the office and Mr. Gary takes the reins. Yeah. Finds the best care and you guys get into MGH.
1: And I go for that.
0: Yeah. Okay. And your mom didn't react like you thought somebody would. That gets the news that you have a progressive basically terminal illness, and we give you two to four years to live.
1: She definitely understood, but she was like angry, but she couldn't communicate very well. So, like you could tell she just was like, I want to get out of here. Like, you know, it wasn't Mm -hmm. an appropriate response, Mm -hmm. but it definitely she wasn't like happy. She was like, I remember she repeated, you know, like the parroting, she repeated. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna die in a year, I'm gonna die in a year, and I'm gonna die in a year. We would hear her say that. Mm-hmm. and I do remember one time her telling me after that appointment again, I think she was so focused on me mm-hmm. and how that made me feel. um, she was able to come tell me, my legs are really strong. I'm gonna live a long time. but then I would hear from my dad that she's saying, I'm gonna die in a year I'm gonna die. like. <laughs> yeah she's so, true she's
0: still a mom yeah so fast forward you guys get into mGH you guys get the care what is going through your mind at this point okay you guys have the best care in town doesn't change the diagnosis right but right, right what right. are you feeling like what does it feel like now that you have this information in your back pocket
1: I'm trying to remember like I can remember being like in the room with Dr Dickerson and Taking in the information. Mm -hmm. All my focus turned to like, how do we just take care of her?
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay, confirm this is what it is. Like, how are we gonna deal? And then what did you guys do? Um I think the conversation went like this. I looked at Mike and he said, You're gonna you're gonna wanna move in. (laughs) I said, Yeah, I do. Mike's like, I already know what's coming. And he's like, Okay. So at that second neurologist at MGH, it was confirmed the ALS diagnosis. So that is when I really, from my perspective was like, this is going to be really quick. I want to save her every moment I can with her. I'm going to move. And there was a lot of pushback of like, this isn't what you need to do. Who was pushing back? My dad. Okay. So you and Mike move in and- I just, like, I literally, like, laid in bed with my mom all the time. Like, I just, like, wanted to, like, be her kid and just, like, yeah. savor. her. Mm-hmm. But when you look back,
0: now that we're so far away from this time, did you enjoy it?
1: I mean, I don't regret a single thing, but it was really hard. It was yeah. really, really hard. But, like, I would absolutely do it again. hmm in a heartbeat, I would make the same decisions, Mm -hmm. even with everything that I went through, even after having Liam. And I think I would do maybe some things different (laughs) and giving myself a lot more support, (laughs) maybe accepting more help, maybe setting myself up for success with bringing a child into the world. Um, But that time that I had with her, um, I'll never regret that. Mm -hmm. as hard as it was because some days it was like oh my gosh she would say like the same lines over and over again when I would get up to go to work she'd be like why you want to leave me like from the um my big fat creek wedding Mm -hmm. and she would just like parrot it over and over and then my dad would be like trying to figure out how to set something up for her in the house to keep her in and It was just wild. It was a wild time, but like we just kind of went with it and like we did find like a lot of joy, but like I really had to like find it. Like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there were so many things that were so uncomfortable for me. I really didn't like taking her out in public because she would go up and like touch people's faces. It was so loving and sweet, but it was like I don't know. It just made me really anxious. I wish I didn't care, but I did. Well,
0: I think that's a normal response. I mean, imagine being at Target and some woman comes up to you and is like, hello, and touches your face. You'd be like, oh, hello.
1: Okay. She's 50. She's not like a little old lady. Like, so that was uncomfortable. A lot of like what I would do is like, we would go to the Starbucks drive Mm through and she always wanted her. She'd go, Tazo Chai. (laughs) I got her Tazo Chai and her croissant, and we would play music, and you could make her laugh. But I would say, like, pretty quickly after her diagnosis, like, there was no mother daughter relationship anymore. It was different. It was me caring for my mom, who was becoming more like a child hmm
0: But you never, fe- or maybe I shouldn't say that. I should say, did you ever feel like she didn't know who you were or she That's didn't? That's
1: not something I struggled with. I know that it is like an issue for a lot of people and a really heartbreaking thing for a lot of people. I don't know if it's just what my perspective was or whatever, but like I always felt like she knew me. Um, mm-hmm. But because of her PPA, like, I definitely remember when she couldn't like say my name anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember being frustrated, but the way that my mom looked at me and looked at my siblings and looked at my dad, like, you knew. You knew. Like, you just know.
0: Right. So, you guys move in, you're finding joy, you're learning how to cooperatively care for your mom. And then you have this idea of, I think I need to share this story. What part do you think was the most motivating for you to get this story out?
1: That's a really good question. I will say this, this came, (laughs) the decision to share, uh, and the idea and everything. I mean, this is years after. So, diagnosed under 2016. I move in 2017. I have my son summer 2018, two years later. after I've moved out, we have our own space. I'm recovering from, I would say battling postpartum depression and really trying to be okay again. Um, I think I just felt like nobody understood. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Like, I I don't know if it was you that said it, but it was like, you're walking through like mud, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. it just like, I just don't think anyone got what was happening. Like you could look at her and like, you know, people came to like Liam's baptism and like, obviously over time, like her physical appearance changed so much and she struggled to walk and, you know, you could physically see things. But I don't think that anyone could understand how she wasn't the same. I don't want to say she wasn't the same person, but like, I think one of the most heartbreaking things that was that she couldn't be who she was like, and it was hard to remember who she was. And Mm -hmm. I just think that particular piece of the journey is what motivated me to share So you
0: wanted the whole idea behind remember me was to focus on who she
1: was, because I didn't think anyone could understand what it's like to watch someone decline like this and they're no longer them, you know, like, and I want to be careful because like she is she was her like, it'll be your two year memorial of her passing in a little over a week. So I'm coming at it from a different perspective. Like now I'm like, oh, my mom was always my mom, no matter what. But when you're in it and you're looking at this person who physically looks so different, mm-hmm. my mom's case, she couldn't communicate. Mm-hmm. She wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. The same. Right. <laughs> you know? Right, And yeah. so I just think that is one of the horribly unique parts of this disease is that like, people change and, Mm -hmm. and it, and especially with like, so our journey. So my mom was diagnosed 2016. She passed in 2020, like, you know, it's relatively short compared to many stories we hear. So, you know, someone like you, 10, 12 years, your dad was changing and it was hard to remember who he was before. Like that's the more typical, you know, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: right. Story. So, yeah, it was just that I just wanted people to understand <laughs> all the things that made her who she was like her outward love for her kids and the art and everything. Like, she couldn't do all those things anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you had this idea. And I didn't know we were going to focus on this, but I'm going with no, it because it no, doesn't.
0: We're not, not going to focus on okay. it. I <laughs> just want to bring us kind of like, you know. Finish the journey here. Okay, so you have this idea. You reach out. I think everyone knows this story. Instagram, some yes. L.A. Pretty cool, <laughs> unique avant-garde type person response. Is that, is that accurate?
1: Sure, sure, sure. Okay, great. I just remember and your black and white photo. I think you might still have that as your. Still photo. have it. Okay. Yeah.
0: I'm not. I'm not good with change. So. Okay.
1: <laughs>
0: so. You start this podcast yep, and we start it August 3rd to honor Leah, her Mm -hmm. birthday. Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward because I feel like our unique listeners, is that what they're called? It's the people that listen
1: all the time. Well, we just found out on our Spotify wrapped that our listeners are qualified as enthusiasts. Oh, excuse me. Excuse (laughs) me. Enthusiasts because they listen right away and they love- what we give them.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. I'm going to go ahead and use the word enthusiastic listeners. Okay. Um, kind of all know my dad passed. Yeah. And then it was your mom. I know you don't like to focus on this. So I'm not going to ask a lot of questions about okay. it, but I just want you to explain what it felt like for you. You don't have to go into the actual thing, but okay. I want you to say
1: what it felt like. At the end. At the end. Okay. So what I will say is because Frankie had passed November 10th, and I knew around that time, like, my mom was suffering. Like, she didn't look – you just know, you know? Um, I don't know how to describe it, but I kind of felt, like, a little prepared because you were going through it like you mm-hmm. had just lost him and I kind of knew that was coming with her. and I felt it. I think I even felt it like in October. I just was like, it's this yeah,' it's coming to an end. Oh my God, I feel like I learned so much that I just never, like you just never know what it's gonna be like until mm-hmm. it happens. And like I was so calm. <laughs> I was so calm. By her bed, you know, I was calm. Like, I was in the moment. I don't know how. I I feel like that's some physiological thing I want to learn more about (laughs) because it just blows my mind. Like, I think, like, your body is just, like, focuses on them. And, like, you just got to, like, be there with them. And it was, like, over a week span. And it was just traumatizing I think <laughs> that's why it's hard for me to talk you know it's really hard for me to talk about I know I know, I know you don't like to I think but the in the best... moment I was calm right. but I was traumatized right I think the best
0: way to like when I think about it now you know when you get blood taken and they put that like rubber band around and your it arm? kind of hurts does it yeah. hurt for you yeah. okay and then they're asking you to like squeeze the stress ball and you're like put the needle in my arm so I can let go. Yeah. And then they take off the, the rubber band and then they let your hand go. And it's that feeling of just like, okay, like this is uncomfortable. and. I don't want to look down and see the blood coming out of my arm, but at the same time, like it feels good knowing that like my body is relaxed.
1: Right. Does that make
0: sense? Like that feeling of like, you're so tight and just like, Oh my God. And then you can like, let it go. That yes. or like, if you ever try and race a child in a swimming pool across, <laughs> and you're holding your breath and you get to the other side and you're able to like come up for Breathe. air and like, yeah. that's like the only analogy I can relate something like this to
1: yeah. that
0: feeling of just like, okay, it's done. I can't fight this anymore.
1: Yeah. I mean, I would say I resonate with that because. There was so much anxiety of like, when's it going to happen? What's it going to look like? The worst. What is going to happen? Is she going to choke? Like, you know, yes. there's yes. just so many scenarios that go through your head. And then when it's happening, you're like, okay, this is it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that thing you've been preparing for for so long. And I think, I don't know. I think, you know, how they say like you do, there's like flight, Fight, flight, or freeze? Mm -hmm. I think I went into freeze. Mm -hmm. I think I just was like there, but not there. Like Mm -hmm. I just Mm -hmm. was, I had to just, I don't know, get through it. Mm -hmm. I just, I had no idea what I was going to feel like after. I I definitely felt some relief for sure. Like she was in pain and and I was so proud of her at the Mm -hmm. end. Like she, I will say That my mom fought as hard as she could to be with us as long as she possibly could. I don't Mm -hmm. think she wanted to let go. She couldn't speak anymore. She couldn't, she could hardly move. But I still felt like she was trying to be with us as long as possible. So I was really proud of her. I feel like she was so graceful in Mm -hmm. her illness. And I was glad she wasn't in pain but I just had no idea, physically and and mentally, how I would feel after this, and mm. I just felt so foggy, mm. you know, Almost like a, like depleted,
0: like you have nothing, mm. totally hollow, like,
2: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and very desensitized to like anything. So like, <laughs> <laughs> two days after my mom's funeral. Liam took a Buzz Lightyear ride on car down a flight of stairs at my dad's house into the basement, concrete basement. That's right. I forgot about that. And literally like, I don't know how he wasn't more injured. There was certainly a lot of blood and a trip to Boston Children's (laughs) Hospital, but we were all like, okay. (laughs) Okay. And it was like a snowstorm. Oh, I remember this because my girlfriend was like giving birth, like I think like this day in Boston, like trying to get in to the city. And we were just like, "Okay, time to take our kid, our two and a half year old to get his head stitched up. It it just was like, I don't know, such a weird time. You like forget everything like you don't care like you just like. I got so many beautiful letters and cards and texts and like, I don't remember any of them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yep. You're just like in a, you're not there. You're like in so many different places at once.
1: Yeah. And then like, but like life is just like going, you know, like I always think of that story that Pia told of like, Going to buy pantyhose, and all these people are laughing and shopping. And she's like, My dad's dad. <laughs> like, right. yeah. And everybody's just living. And you're just like, Your world has just changed, you know? know?
0: Yep. And I think you said it at the beginning, or when we were talking about diagnosis, I think you said, I was a different person the day before than yeah. I was after I walked out of the office. And then I think, you're a different person, not you, just in general, people on this journey are a different person after their person passes. Yeah. And I think you learn a lot. I think you grow a lot, but I think it also prepares you for situations that are uncomfortable, like seeing your child take a trike down the basement stair. Like it's just,
1: you're like, okay, if I can handle that, I can handle it. Right. <laughs> right. I do feel like I'm such a different person now. Like, I don't know if this has happened to you or like, people are talking about things and you're like, that doesn't matter. Like you're just like a thousand percent. like, and I also like, don't spend, I don't know if this is too, uh, oh boy. honest, but like there are certain relationships in my life that I'm like, could lose that one you know like I just makes you value things a little bit yeah you just like kind of reevaluate everything and like I don't know I feel like I have more confidence in myself too of just like I know what I can handle and I can get through things and like I know I'll be okay and it's so hard to see that during the journey Mm -hmm. or right after your loved one passes but in the months and years that pass you know you heal in a way. I mean, you never get over and you have helped me so much with this. Like I push myself to just like feel what I'm Mm -hmm. feeling and talk about it. And doing this podcast is like all like, just like helping me not be stuck in it, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Definitely. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm
0: so cocky now.
1: Let's take a quick (laughs) break.
0: Hey, listeners,
1: Maria here. I wanted to share an exciting resource we've been getting to know within the FTD community. Learn FTD is a website stocked full of useful FTD resources, information on genetics and genetic testing, useful ways to talk to your loved one's physician, and so much more. Presented in an extremely understandable way, Learn FTD provides thorough and extremely helpful information across many facets of the disease. But more than that, Learn FTD discusses how your participation in research and clinical trials can provide hope and a path forward, while sharing guidance and tips you can use today. For more information and to join their email list, visit learnftd.com.
0: We're back. That was a good break. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Where do you think you are on your grief journey? Not the six stages, but like, how does it feel? Let's just say two years after
1: right now, leading up to the memorial Mm -hmm. and to Christmas, I feel very differently than I did last two years. Um, Or do you you know what I mean? Yes. Um,
0: What is it that you feel? You feel differently, but what is that? What is I don't I, I can only focus on what I don't feel. Okay. What do I okay. feel? I you can, feel you can focus on what you don't feel.
1: I feel right now, I feel very focused on my family. I feel very focused on being incredibly blessed to be welcoming a new member. Hey, we're
0: doing it now. Okay, <laughs> wait. We have a big announcement.
1: Okay, tell us. You feel very blessed. What? What's coming? <laughs> I feel very blessed that I'm having another child <gasps> and um, are we telling the gender or no. Yeah. Okay. I'm having another Please. boy. Thank you. I feel so hopeful because of that, because of the journey I went through to even get here. I, I didn't, I really had given up hope and I was dealing with all the fertility stuff in that first year and a half of grief. Mm-hmm. It was just grief on grief, on grief, on grief, on grief. <laughs> um, There've been times recently I would just want to call my mom, but then I've also felt like I know exactly what she's going to say. So it's like, she's with me. Mm-hmm. But one thing I do want to say about grief that I didn't, I didn't realize like that not only would I be grieving, like the loss of my mom and her not being in my life, but like how much my family changed after how my relationships changed i just think i just i didn't think of it i didn't mm-hmm. i knew i would was going to have to deal with not having my mom mm-hmm. but having a totally different family um family structure sometimes that grief was just unbearable just feeling so many layers on top of the loss i will say that I think when
0: one person leaves a family, either by death or divorce, um, the whole family has to reconfigure yeah. and into something that it wasn't before. And I don't think that's talked about nearly enough. So I'm glad that you mentioned that part. It's completely normal to be going through that and to feel all of that, like you said, restructuring that in itself is its own type of grief. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't, we don't think about it because you're so focused on the actual loss. So I think it's important that you mentioned it. If you were to give a listener a piece of advice about that, what would you say?
1: Huh? I don't know. I I don't think I've figured it out yet. I'm kind of in the face of like, letting myself be really sad about it. Um, but I don't know, maybe like what I've been doing is really just focusing on my little family. I think my whole life, I I was in a very tight-knit family structure and culture. and I think maybe being flexible that that can change. and just because it changes doesn't mean the world is ending. Um, things can look different. And I think another thing I've really, I don't know, reframed in my mind over the past year of grief is there mm-hmm. are people in your life that can play very important roles that aren't blood related to you. You know, Liam's godfather is like such an important part of our family, you know, and like, he's not my blood. Shout but- out Chris Cohen. Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like, he's been there, you know? Uh-huh. And like, my Aunt Sophia, like, she is blood, but she's my aunt. But she's been a motherly role. Like, I just think, like, life is going to look different now. My mom's not here. Like, it's uh-huh. never going to be what it was. And I'm going to make the best of it. I- I- it's still incredibly heartbreaking, but. I can focus on my little family and they're the priority. And so I think that's why like I'm going into this, you know, second memorial feeling like kind of hopeful and just really focused on my own family. Because first of all, that's what my mom would want, you know, and that's what's important. This is these are my people, you know, and I think you've done. I feel like you've done a lot of work sending that message home to me over the years of just like you're, this is your family. And I think you have really good perspective too, because like you're an only child. So like I've learned a lot from your perspective and I think you've learned a lot of like, Mm -hmm. Whoa, (laughs) (laughs) having a lot of siblings, that's a lot. (laughs) Um, but you know, I know, I know know what I mean. We're yin and yang. I mean, we are obviously we've been, through this grief journey together, like mm-hmm. one month apart. So like, essentially we've been walking the same exact path. Mm-hmm. And so to have someone that you can pick up the phone and call who gets it is like the best. Right. Agree. Now Should we talk
0: about Leah, two of the most extremely important questions that we like to ask here on the remember me podcast. <laughs> There's actually three, but I, okay. I think we all get the gist, but I'll ask it anyway. Okay. What was Leah like as a mom? She's like the definition of the like best
1: mom ever. Yeah.
0: Um, That's the vibe I think
1: we all can pick up. My mom was so consistent. I always knew what I was getting. Mm-hmm. She was always there, always kind, had a very strong, like very strong values So I think that's why, like, sometimes when I think about, like, oh, I want to talk to her about something, and but then I'm, like, I feel like I know what she would say. She just, like, was very steady in, like, who she was and what she believed, and she preached those things to me. Honesty was, like, very important to her, and I just feel like as a mom, she used so many opportunities, things to, like, teach me about, I don't know, I guess her philosophy, on life, but in such a gentle, she's very gentle and just so affectionate. And I don't know if we talked about this on the podcast, but we've talked about like how my mom hyped me up so much that I literally like, she would tell me like, I looked like Julia Roberts. (laughs) Like this is a good example of my mom. It's just like, she'd be like, your smile is like Julia Roberts smile. Like she just Had so much confidence in us kids and just loved us so much that she just made us feel like we were like the greatest. That's the best, but she believed it, you know. Like the Robert's
0: smile. I can't.
1: One of my siblings said like she believed in us so much that like we had to believe in ourselves. Like, we it was just like this infectious, like energy of like oh i guess i'm the best like I, not just that but like i don't know she just had like this very childlike magic and wonder <laughs> about her that's so, so that's loving. the best so consistent and i think that's why like what we were talking about in the beginning of like when things started to change it was like wait a minute you've never been like this <laughs> like you're always so supportive and kind and loving and but she absolutely told us like you know, we weren't perfect.
0: When you have a parent that's on your side like that, it's the best. You
1: can conquer the world. Like we wrote in her obituary, like she raised us to be like dreamers. And she absolutely did because she just really believed in us so much. And like, yeah, when someone does that, you start to believe in yourself too, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Second favorite question. How do you think Leah would want to be remembered? This is a hard one because similar to Frankie, like just so humble, you know? Yeah, totally. But I do think she would want to be remembered like as a mom, like as the most loving mom. I remember like if she saw someone like yelling at their kid in the grocery store, which I do that sometimes, she would be like horrified. She was so protective of children. And I think that she... Was so determined to be the best mom she could be. Like, that was her goal. And the way she made people feel like, I would get messages from people like I was friends with in middle school who were like, I'll never forget the way your mom made me feel if I came over for her homework date or whatever. (laughs) And she was always so kind. And she always sought out people who, maybe she knew they were like lonely or in need or maybe a little different I think that she would want to be remembered as someone who took care of people that needed it like that she saw the people that were yeah like a little different and I think it's like kind of crazy because then I mean she really became one of those people you know But she always like she would even write about it in her blog. Like she one time my Yaya was like in a rehab place after an accident. And my mom would like go like talk to random people in the like nursing or rehab places and like hold their hands like she wanted them to feel loved. And I think she'd want to be remembered for that and just absolutely for just loving her kids.
0: Lastly, the final, please tell us. What do we get to hear today?
1: Can I just tell one more story about her? Sure. Okay. So like my dream was to go to Boston University. I think part of it was it's a city campus. When I visited, it was like these brownstones. And I think I always wanted to like live on my own because I was like the oldest of four kids and just like (laughs) wanted that independence. And so it was my number one school top choice. And I remember like BU would come to town to do like, I don't know, like open house sessions at like hotel or whatever. So you could go and like learn about the school. (laughs) And I did so many sports and stuff. So I couldn't always make it. My mom would go to them and sign in as like Marie. (laughs) Anything she could do to help me with this, she did. And she like kept a file of like all the time she went and all the info we got from there. And I remember when I got in and someone told my dad, Maria has news for you and it's really expensive. And (laughs) of course, Gary was like, I don't know. Like it's literally BU is like one of the most expensive schools in the country. And he was very like, Like, I don't know. And I don't know what happened. But my mom was like, you're going to this school. I don't care what he says. We are going to figure it out. And she made it happen. And that particular decision and choice like changed the course of my life. I mean, I met my husband. I studied, you know, communications, radio, TV in college. Like my whole family ended up up here in Boston. Like Ugh. it was such, and it was my dream and she made it happen. And so, I don't know. That's I really just always sweet. like- Also, Leah kind of-
0: Breaking the rules, signing you in. I know
1: it. I appreciate it. She was like, literally, like, always like, honesty is number one. (laughs) um (laughs) But she knew that was my dream and she was going to make it happen. And she did. Okay. So, well, you want to get into what we're going to read, huh? How did you know I was going to ask that next? Have you heard this podcast before? (laughs) I'm going to read two things. Okay. They're short, doesn't matter. So just to illustrate how incredible my mom was, once again, she kept a book, like a journal, where she would write letters to me and my siblings. And I think the first entry is like in 1995. And then I think it goes through um, when my sister was born, my youngest sister was born in 90. 90- oh, no, it goes through 90, 90- 99. So I have, rich- I have an only child
0: question. How did you get your hands on that?
1: I found it in the house one day and stole it and brought it home. Anybody, any any sibling that's listening, I'm happy to pass it around, but beautiful. Found it, kept it. Um, I'm very fortunate that I have a lot of things that my mom has written and Mm -hmm. a blog full of 500 posts. But throughout this journal, she writes some letters that are to all of us. Some that are individual, some are on the same day where she'd be like, "You did this today, and then this one did this." And it's kind of beautiful to read because she, like even talks to us all different. Like she just, oh. I don't know. She just had a, her own unique relationship with everybody. But okay, one thing that was like really important to me and my mom, like a sweet thing that we would do together is tea time. I didn't get a lot of alone time with my mom because so there are four of us kids, but, That was like a little special thing. And so that's why tea time. I don't know. Some people know it's like really important, like cute thing to me. Okay. So this is a 95. So I'm almost seven years old when this is written. Okay. Maria, we had tea this afternoon and we talked together. You played with a a lot today, but later asked if I could entertain her. (laughs) (laughs) You are so beautiful. See, Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. (laughs) You are so beautiful and special to me, and I know it's hard being the oldest. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, Preach. Okay. You are trying so hard in school. I'm so proud of you. Love, mommy. Is it a good one? Yeah. Okay. Now I'm just going to read one that's to all of us. I'm going to try to read it. Dear, and she writes our names, my three hearts, my... My youngest sister wasn't born yet. This is in 97. I was about to say, Leah miscalculated. Okay. (laughs) Um, This was in March 97. So I think she was maybe pregnant with the youngest. My three hearts. It's mommy again. You are sound asleep. I hope you're having sweet dreams and that you're happy. I hope you will always be happy. And that you will keep God in your life. Always. Always nourish your faith in the Lord. He will help you to be happy. Again, I love each of you so very much. You are my life. Mommy. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to connect with us, you can follow us on Instagram at Remember Me Podcast. You can visit our website, remembermeftd.com, for more information on FTD, resources, and ways to support our podcast, like joining Remembers Only. This podcast is produced by Maria kent Fears and Rachel Martinez. And the beautiful music you hear is a song called So Damn Lucky by Bailey Kent.